Today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about eight qualities of a great leader. Check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. So glad you guys are back with us. Thanks for listening in. means a lot to Jared and a little bit to me. Yep. Actually... We could share this news. This is kind of exciting. Yeah. Recently, the... Po- Jared uh, and Jen are expecting their third. <laughs> no, don't spread those rumors. <laughs> that is not happening. Um, recently, Multiply Podcast hit 15,000 listens. Thanks, moms. In over 50 countries. Wow. So, what is... Are our moms now traveling I, or... <laughs> now I know you're lying. There's not even 50 countries in the world. <laughs> Can't just make up numbers. There is, and we have. Do you know? Do cool. you know what country is number two and listens after? Obviously, the states. It's either I haven't checked in a while. What are some of the top countries behind um, the United States? England. Yep, I got friends over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I think. Uh, who else? What are some of the other countries? South Korea, North Korea. No, no. <laughs> Cuba? <laughs> Iran is number three. No, uh, I can't remember, but it's it's mostly um, the highest ones are the English-speaking countries. Well, that makes a lot of, of sense. <laughs> but there are some non-English-speaking countries, because I know well, we got some missionaries out there and some yeah. other people, which is cool. So. Hey, if you listen from around the world, we'd love to know where you listen from. That would be interesting for us to know. Yeah. You can comment on the on the YouTube yeah. videos. Let us know. Yeah. Which would be sweet. And let us know what your favorite thing is to eat in your country. Oh. And we'll try to find it here in the States and eat it and review it. On a live on, podcast. On a, on a recorded podcast. Yes, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, we're excited to be back with you guys. Yep. If you didn't listen to the last episode, we encourage you to go back. Stop what you're doing right now. Yeah, stop it. Stop, go, stop it. Go back and listen to it. Uh, we talked uh, in our last episode... Of, yeah. About uh, four different characteristics of a great leader that uh, an article we found on Forbes magazine a few years ago that we thought would be interesting to kind of talk about. And uh, it had eight characteristics. We did four in our last episode. We're going to do four more today. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we're uh, we're going to jump back in. Yeah. The first one. The first one I will I will start us off is decisiveness yeah because i am a decisive person i'm going to take the reins on this there you go and now i'm going to ask you the very first question dave which is Mm -hmm. um tell me what your initial thoughts are when you heard decisiveness being on the list of a great leader yeah well now i'm going to exercise my decisiveness and say i would love to hear your thoughts on that (laughs) um i mean it makes total sense right leaders can't dodge making decisions if you're a leader uh, you have responsibilities. You have to make decisions about personnel. You have to make decisions about policies, about programs, about all these things that matter. Um, and if you don't like making decisions, you shouldn't get into leadership, right? And so I'm not surprised it's on the list. Um, I think the idea of being decisive, uh, it, it, I, I, what I imagine is you know, the inverse of it. What is it like to work for with an indecisive leader and sort of the frustration of, uh, trying to follow a leader, even if you just think like in practical terms of like, or, or think of the illustration of like trying to follow somebody down a highway, you know, you're driving somewhere and you're, and they're like turning blinkers on, but then going the other way, or they're starting to get off and then they're getting back on the highway. Like that's sort of like tension, frustration, like I wish this person would just commit and make a decision. They're going slow, they're going fast. 
And I think of that as an illustration for, you know, what it's like to follow a leader who can't seem to make their mind up and doesn't make a decision. Now, what do you think are the, the biggest obstacles in leaders from being as decisive as they should be? Well, I think um, I think fear is the first one. Um, and, and we should point, like, I think it's important to say, in fact, it'd be interesting to compare you and I, because you're certainly, you certainly are a decisive person, but I, I tend to be a little higher on that spectrum, which is not always a good thing. Like, it'd be interesting to look at the positive negatives. Like, it's very easy for me to quickly make a decision and dive in, Mm -hmm. which means, well, sometimes I don't always assess all the risks. So for, for someone who is maybe a little less decisive or a little slower to be decisive, I think sometimes the potential is it's fear. Um, um, Sometimes it's just a healthy assessment of risk or a healthy, like, mm-hmm. I'm unsure of the potential fallout of this decision or I haven't gained all the facts. But a lot of times, once you've gained the facts and you basically know, it's just a lack of, um, a lack of I think, courage to, to take that step and, and risk. You risk something yeah. when you make decisions, you know, so. Yeah. I think, you know, I've done enough personal assessments and tests to know that the way I make decisions is I like as much data as I can have in front of me. So I like, I think one of the obstacles to decisiveness is is ambiguity and a lack of clarity, right? Yeah. And so I want as much clarity as I can get. I want the facts in front of me. That's how I want to process my decision making. But I also will ultimately make my decisions more based on my gut instinct than the facts. So it's a weird combination. I want the facts, but I'm not tied to the facts. Some people want the facts, and whatever the facts say, that's how they make decisions. Some people don't even care about the facts. They're going to follow their gut, their feelings all the time. And some people are some combination of those two things. And I'm a feeler, but I want to know what is – I want to define – I want clarity on what are the facts of the situation. What do I need to know right. to an extent, right? And at some point, I think um, it becomes too much information. And right. it can become like um, sort of the paralysis of analysis, right? Um, that you've overanalyzed something to the point. And I have these moments in, in the cereal aisle or <laughs> picking out a new toothpaste where it's like it's, it's, there's a low-stake decision, <laughs> Low risk decision, not a ton of variety. Right. They're all probably made in the same factory by the same people and just put in different bottles. But I still just stand there and I just stare at it and I just analyze over and over like the unit price and the cost and which one whitens your teeth and which one does this. And and like in those moments, I feel like if sometimes if you have too much information in front of you, it can actually paralyze you in making a decision. Yeah. Well, one of the other factors I think too is interesting is and this is the difference between you and I, is you you have a higher level of empathy than I do for people. So you you have a better ability. Called, it's called Christ-likeness. <laughs> That's one way to put it. You have a better ability to, to uh, or you're more in touch with the emotional um, effects of certain decisions um, than I am. And this is true of like my wife and I. It, she's way less decisive than I am. And a lot of times it has to do with that of like, oh, we can't do that. I don't know this because because she can she's literally through the fault. She can feel the what, relational fallout, exactly. the emotional fallout. Yeah. What they're going to feel. Of course, my cold stone heart. Yeah, we know. And I'm just like, hey, let's this is the right thing. Yeah. No matter what, let's do yeah. it. You know? Yeah. So what are like real quick? What are some of the positives and negatives of both sides of that? Well, um, so I think the positive of. 
and I would say it's a high, it's a, it's an EQ issue to some extent. It's it's self awareness. Self awareness is not just being aware of how I feel, but being aware of how the room feels about an issue. And there's actually a self awareness uh, assessment you can take online, and they categorize self awareness in two categories. One, do you see yourself properly? And two, do you see yourself? Do you do you understand the way other people see you? Those are two different things, right? Yeah. And actually. I scored higher in the understanding how other people see me than I did in the how I actually see myself, which is indicative of somebody who's very much my EQ is wired in such a way that I'm always taking the temperature of the room, right? So the disadvantage is, is that I don't diagnose problems as quickly as I should because I'm working through the muddiness of emotions and feelings. Mm. Um, I may be slower in decisions. Um, I may take personal... Um, stress on not because of just the decision but because of all the fallout of the decision carry that weight yeah i carry that weight i may i may create scenarios and fear things that are not realistic or never will happen just because i'm thinking what's the worst case scenario if i make this decision right yeah the 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 strength of it is that when you do make the decision most people by that point understand why you're making the decision they feel like you understand whether whether they're on board or not and why they're on board or why they're not on board. The strength of that decision is that you don't burn as many relational bridges in your leadership yep. and you tend to keep the team with you. Now, the other way around, it's basically the inverse. The weakness is you step on people, you hurt people. Um, you don't think things through. You don't think things through. You're just myopic. You know, there's there's two, there's you know, on this end of the spectrum, you got the, the, the people who are determined to be right. On this end of the spectrum, you might have the people who are more determined to be liked or to lead a team that gets along. And so you get those opposite ends and you get these different leadership styles. But they do get things done. They're, that leadership style that we're describing, the low feel, high diagnose, high action, they're that, that's the type of leader you need in chaos. That's the type of leader that you need in crisis. Um, when you walk, when you need a leader to walk into a situation that has almost no hope, you need someone who can diagnose quick and make hard decisions, even if it's going to hurt people. Now, to sustain something over a long run, I think the, the way I'm wired might be a little bit more advantageous. Yeah. Both types of leaders can lead in either environment, I guess, but with different levels of well, the effectiveness. Whole, the, whole, the goal is to not be an extreme to one sure. end or the other. Because you will be severely yeah. um, uh, hindered in your leadership yep. if you are so extreme to one end or the other. You, and, and there are some skills you can learn to help you. Now, let me ask you this question about question about decisiveness. How sure of a decision do you think a leader should be before they make the decision, percentage-wise? Like 100% sure, 50% sure. And I know this changes from – but let's talk about like a significant decision, like a decision that's going to affect – uh, the strategy that the organization is headed in when it comes to carrying out its mission. Um, how sure do you feel like a, a, what percentage level, I know this is arbitrary, but just give me a sense of where your head's at on that. Yeah, if it's a major decision, so I think minor decisions to move the ball forward are way, it can be a lot less. There's sometimes it's like we just need to get moving because no one's doing anything. But major decisions um, I think you got to be pretty, like I would say, eighty to ninety percent. Mm-hmm. You got to really, um, and for me, because I can tend to just, um, I tend to be more of an intuitive leader where I trust my gut, and um, I have to remind myself, pause on this. You got to read. You got to get some other voices because yeah. if you're wrong, this is a big deal. Yeah, so. yeah. And I think it's important for us to remember. And I think I agree with you. The point being, 
there are people out there, if you're out there and you're a leader and you're thinking like, I want to be a hundred percent sure before I make a decision, you're never going to make a decision. Yeah. Like you got to be willing to take that step at 80%. Yeah. Decision, uh, leaders take risks yeah. with their decisions, but also you got to realize no decision is a decision, right? Not making a decision is ultimately a decision sure. and has, has fallout just like a decision does. Yeah. And uh, so, and then also um, I think the idea that sometimes what I've learned is that the right decision at the wrong time is still the wrong, is a wrong decision. Yeah. So you might have clarity that, um, and I've experienced this even in leading at Trinity, there's things I had clarity on very early on that needed to be tweaked, but I also knew that we needed to get it at the right time. Yep. You know, there's some things that need to be done first, and that's part of me being a feeler, yeah. that I wanted to make sure that the room was with me and that the people who would be affected by the decision would have better understanding of my heart, so I waited on the decision. Yeah. And most of the times I'm grateful I did, but I did end up following through. Right. So, all right. Well, what's the, where, what's the next one? We've talked then, about this one for a while. Yeah. Which is, which is good. That's that we could probably do a whole episode on that. But the next one is managerial competence. Hmm. Now this is self-diagnosed my worst, uh, my worst, uh, characteristic that we're yeah. talking about, yeah. but, um, but you're pretty good at this. So I'd love <clears throat> to hear from you why, um, I mean, maybe you disagree. Maybe you think it shouldn't be on the list, but do you think it should be on the list? And if so, why? I think there has to be a, um, you know, uh, I think in his book, The Advantage, Lencioni talks about uh, values. I think it's that book. Um, and he talks about, you know, different types of values. He talks, he uses this phrase called permission to play values, which are like, like not every organization's value should have to be um, customer service. Because to, ha- to have customer service is sort of like you can't have a business without having good customer service or integrity, like, yes, or financial responsibility. Well, yeah, I mean, That's of course, given, it's a right? given. And so when I think of um, man- now, if that is what you're known for as, a, as an organization, then it can be your value. But, but, but for some people, it's just like assumed. So when I think of managerial competence, I think that leaders have to have a what I would call a permission to play level of competence here. So they don't have to be great at it. In fact, if you're great at it, you maybe aren't a leader. You might be a manager. And there is a difference because managers come in and they sort of maintain the status quo. They take what exists and they make it the best it can be. That's so valuable. I don't want to I don't want to downplay the significance right. of great manager managers and, and managerial competence. But leaders are not brought in to maintain the status quo or to make things the way they currently are the best version of themselves. Leaders are brought in to bring change and to lead us out of where we are into something that we yet can't see, right? Yeah. But in order to get there, in order to sustain the organization long enough to give you so, give yourself the time to do so or build up the relational equity um, or the trust to be able to lead change, you do have to be competent in your managing skills, which is man- uh, managing people, resources, time, facilities, property, um, sort of having that skill set. So a permission to play value uh, or level, if you're right at that level, like you basically have just enough not to sink the ship, you better bring some people around you that can crush it at this. Yeah. And that's where I think um, I, I have enough to be competent in it. But one of the things that I've done to make up for any sort of like administrative lack or whatever is I, I, I do recognize I'm pretty self-aware of the things that I'm bad at. Mm. And then I can pick people to come on the team that are great at that. 
And so that's what I say. Like, there is hope. If you're like, I'm, I'm not great at this thing, mm-hmm. then have self-awareness. First of all, know what you're not great at. It doesn't yeah. mean you don't try to improve. Yeah. But at the end of the day, know what you're not great at and then be able to recognize who is great at that and get those people on your team. Yeah, I agree. That's good. Um, well, let's go to the next one because I think, you know, we've said enough about that one. The seventh one or the third one for this issue or episode is empowerment. Um, when you think of leaders and empowerment, what comes to mind? Why is this so important? And by the way, you're, I think you're a tremendously empowering leader. I've seen you do this uh, probably in ways that are better than my natural ability in this area. So what do you... Well, I'm glad you recognize that yeah. and publicly admitted it. I will be saving this clip of the podcast. Joke's on you because I just empowered you by saying uh, that. So actually... Dang it! Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, when I think of empowering leadership, I mean, it almost feels like that is the essence of leadership to yeah. me. Like that's the point is to... Um, to like whatever your mission is. So if you're in the church, we, we share a mission, Mm -hmm. but if you're in the business world, whatever your mission is, like the idea of leadership is to, to, um, to bring people along within that mission and raise them up, develop them and empower them. So not only do you accomplish your mission better, but they become better leaders. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, um, that's the heart of empowering leadership. It's not, I'm not leveraging people to do my job better is I, and putting people in positions so that they can succeed. I mm-hmm. actually care about them as much as I care about accomplishing a task. Yeah. And I think that's the big dividing line a lot of times for people that are maybe really good at empowering other leaders or maybe those that are not. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you often say, like, when you come into a position, although you're committed to serve there as long as God wants you to, you're always thinking right from the first day, who am I raising up that can replace me? And I think, like, if you're leading, um, if you're listening and you're leading um, in a formal position, whether you're a pastor at a church or you're over a company and organization, or even if you're if you're leading uh, as a volunteer, as a team member, maybe you're leading a specific ministry within your local church, one thing you should always be asking yourself is, who am I developing? Who am I raising up? And with my team at Trinity, uh, the pastors that serve alongside of me, they know that when it comes to how I measure their success, number one is, are they making disciples? Because that's the mission of our church. But number two is, are you developing your team? And are you raising up people who, if, if you know, God forbid something happened to you bad, or God directed you and led you to another job, another part of the country, there wouldn't be this sort of like dramatic drop off and this major void of leadership, because you've been investing yourself into individuals individuals who can step up and and they know how you think and they know how you make decisions and they can lead how you lead uh, you know unique to their personality and style but but with your values in place and so i think you know there's certain adjectives for leadership like you said like empowering leadership is like is there any other kind servant leadership is another example yeah. is there any other kind yeah. but functionally there's a lot of leaders yeah. who are not empowering people they hold leadership tightly to themselves why do they why do you think that's such an issue for some leaders yeah, I think it's in order to do this well, like one of my core convictions has been um, if I if I can develop and pour into somebody who can do the job that I'm doing better than me. And I feel like I mean, again, I, I'm operating in a in a Christian pastoral context. So if I feel like God is I can sense God's releasing me, this person, this is a person who can do what I'm doing better than me. That's let me get out of the way. Like I've always had that conviction in my heart. Like Lord, mm-hmm. when that moment comes, you're gonna you'll show me, and I'm I'm not gonna have any problem getting out of the way. Now what I've found is God always honors it. It's never 
I'm never homeless and my family's not eating because I spent five years empowering some guy and then he took my job right, and I right, got nothing. Right. Like God always honors that. But I do think that takes a certain level of security in the sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. um, trust in if I'm able to develop leaders like that, then other opportunities and doors are going to open up. That yeah. would be great for me. Yep. And, um, and, but I think that's hard. I mean, it's scary. It's, it's a gospel it's issue, risky. right? Yeah. And your identity can't be wrapped up in your position. Right. Your title. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll never hand it off. You'll right. never empower other people. And just having a heart to see other people be all that God created them to be. Yeah. Uh, that's such a big part of leadership. Well, the last one is uh, charisma. And I mean, do we need to say anything? Because they've seen Oof. it. They see us all the time. Yes. I mean, is this charisma oozing out? Every multiplier. I mean, yeah. There's probably nothing really for us to say here. It's just, But uh, charisma, I, I think when we think of charisma, maybe depending on uh, the leadership environment you've been in, you might think of a big personality on stage. But I don't. Uh, that can be charisma, but I think charisma is that sort of special quality about a leader that draws people to themselves, not for self-serving purposes, but for the betterment of the team and for the accomplishment of the of the mission, right? Yeah. So when I think of charisma, I just think of who's somebody that when, you, when you're with them, they're, you, you feel like they are engaged with you, you feel like they care about you, they're listening to you, and charisma also is this sort of like intangible, right? It's a hard skill to learn where people just go... I like that person and and I like their energy and and there's something about the way they present themselves that comes across both as uh, uh, the way we started this 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 conversation last episode sincere and enthusiastic yeah real and passionate yeah one of the ways I like to think about this and maybe it's oversimplification but um, am I someone who people would want to hang out with yeah and I there's a lot of good leaders out there who do great things but they're not you're around them you're like i I wouldn't ever want to go hang out with you the leaders that i really want to follow and really want to like go the distance with are the ones that i'm like man i'd love to hang out with that person you know what i mean like i'd love to sit down with them i'd love to spend time with them talk with them like going out to coffee with them would be awesome yeah and i think that is for me that's charisma and again you can't fake that Mm -hmm. i think you can you can develop your your understanding of the people around you and how you present yourself, which matters. But um, you don't have to be loud. You don't have to be shouty for that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's it's am I present? Am I am I fun? Am I um, am I down to earth? Am I authentic? And do I care about what I'm doing? Because mm-hmm. ultimately, that's exciting for people to be around. Yeah, and I don't think like with charisma. I don't think it's as much about you being interesting. Right. And I remember talking to um, one of my one of our friends, Cody Glickert, who's in sales. He was always taught in sales like you don't need to be interesting. You need to be interested. Yeah. So I think I remember C.S. Lewis. I think it was C.S. Lewis. One of his books said, like, if you ever meet a truly humble person, you won't realize they're humble. You'll just walk away feeling like you really were listened to, heard and known, (laughs) you know. And so I think charisma um, if you know if you're a leader and you're some of you might think well I'm never on stage or or I'm not as charismatic as this leader is charisma is not just a stage issue because that no. can be faked yeah. charisma is a coffee house sitting across the table from somebody else talking in the lobby of the church uh, in a meeting a business meeting uh, interacting with somebody on a trip sitting next to somebody on a on a flight charisma is just that that thing about a person that says I'm interested in you I you know and I'm engaged with you and it communicates like 
there's something you know passionate in me that I want to both I'm a sharer but I'm also a learner I want to I want to share what's in my heart but I want to learn from you and so I think charisma is not just like you said volume and intensity it's yeah. just like um, this guy's the this guy or this lady is the real deal and I really enjoy spending time with him or her do you think there's something to um, like if someone says I want to work on this um, Number one, obviously, you can be a better listener, like all the stuff that you just said, which I totally agree with. But is there also something like I know one of your convictions is you start off every new year by reading some of the the bestseller, New York Times bestseller books. Mm -hmm. Like, is there something about exposing yourself, expanding your horizons to new things so that you become a more well-rounded, more interesting um person? Because that makes it easier to listen and to Mm -hmm. relate to people when you're kind of. You're not just this very yeah. singular. That is, I agree. That is one of the dangers of pastors, preachers, teachers, is that you get locked into this very narrow, specific genre of learning and reading and podcasting. And um, you get interested in very specific, narrow things. But then when you try to interact with people who don't share that interest, you're trying to force your interest into those conversations and it doesn't always work. And eventually they're like, this person really, I mean, we've all met somebody who's only passionate about one thing. And after a while you're like, I don't know how this conversation is. I don't know how I'm going to have any more conversations with this person. We've said everything we can about tea, you know, whatever it is. when I try to talk politics with you. (laughs) Yeah. Or, or football, Patriots football specifically. (laughs) True. But, um, you know, I, I do think that the more broadly you read, the more engaged you are listening. That's why I listen to, you know, all kinds of podcasts, storytelling podcasts by Gimlet and NPR. And and I watch sports and I pay attention to stuff and culture and just try to stay on top of things a little bit. Just so like conversationally, there's just more um, territory to cover. Yeah. More opportunities to connect and to build that sort of moment where it's like, okay, we're connecting, you know, and, and that can be interpreted. I think your ability to connect with an individual will often come across as charisma. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's our eight. We uh, we did four this episode. If you didn't, if you missed the first four, go back and check yeah, them out. They were very important. Very important. Yeah. Um, some some Muy have importante. Said, some have said the Bilingual. the greatest podcast episode we yeah. ever made. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but. Anyway, before we close, if you know us at all, you know that our passion is not just better leaders, but also better eaters. Mm-hmm. We do a little portion called David's Eats, Yum. Um, where we like to talk about some of the best things David's eaten, consumed. We just like to celebrate and enjoy your gluttony is basically what it is. <laughs> so we're going to do that today. And today I, I've got an interesting one. I don't know why I thought about this, but I've been, I want to hear like, if you're going to have taco night at the Hurwick house. We do have taco night often. Okay. Yeah. Uh, weirdly, they do it on Wednesdays, though. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but give us, like, what's your best? Not what you would do on a taco night, because you probably tame it down for the kids or whatever. But, like, if you could, any taco, Yeah. what what is that taco looking like? What's it got on there? Well, there's two directions to go. One is to go, like, super simple. But, but you know, I, I think for me, I'm a toppings guy, right? So, um, first off, I'm a corn tortilla guy. More, I'm sorry, I'm a flour tortilla guy. Something about corn. I like corn if it's heated up. Okay. Like if, if you put it in the oven for a little while, something about it changes. But it, I like flour tortilla, which I know is not really authentic. Um, as far as the meat goes, I'm a big fan of like pulled pork. Um, just salt and pepper, not no extra flavor in it. Yeah. And then as far as toppings, anything green, I love. Okay. So I love green salsa, salsa verde. I love jalapenos. I love green chilies, cilantro, 
lime. Now, were you going like the El Pastor pork? With the, would they do a little kind of a pineapple I do, sweet? I do like that, and I actually do like pineapple on my tacos. Okay, especially if it's pork. Primarily if it's pork. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I like um. I do like sour cream, sour cream and guac, but I don't always need it. Sometimes I just want that on the side to dip chips into. Yeah. But the actual taco, you know, diced onions, um, salsa verde, definitely cilantro, jalapenos, green chilies, squeeze of lime, maybe a little bit of shredded white cheese, yeah. queso blanco or something like that, and uh, maybe some lettuce. I don't have to have it, That's though. That's a pretty hefty taco. Yeah. Well... I'm a hefty boy. I mean, my favorites. My favorite when you go to like a real authentic taco place is to do like a sampler where they give you. Yeah. Each one is just real simple, but it really highlights yeah. the meat and. I do love a good fish taco too. I oh, should say yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Well, everybody, this is Multiply Podcast. Thanks for listening. We look forward to hanging with you guys next time. Go eat a taco. Go eat a taco. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a like, subscribe, spread the word. Thanks so much. See you guys next time.